is Bloomberg Surveillance. China has again and again reacted to hawkish talk from the Fed by allowing more currency depreciation. Cash is a legitimate asset class. It insulates you from declines in the capital markets, both bonds and stocks. China's not just a commodity powerhouse driving commodity prices. It's a manufacturing powerhouse, and it's been pulling in manufacturers all through its supply chains in its Southeast Asia and East Asia. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, Barry Ritholtz in this week. Coming up, I'm really thrilled to bring you uh, someone who, with Paul Wilmot, changed quantitative finance, Emmanuel. Derman will join us in this hour. This is going to be a geeky physics hour. Two hands on the steering wheel for those of you driving. If you're at your desk, children must leave the office as we speak to Derman of Columbia. We will do that here in a bit. David Wilson's shaking his head going, Tom, calm down. Uh, the Forex Brief this morning brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award for the best retail Forex trading platform. Visit IB at IBKR. Dot com slash forex. The last number of days I was going, nothing's happening, nothing's sleepy, it's quiet. Cher Yellen changed that yesterday. Weaker dollar. DXY, that blended index, 96 down to a 94 handle, 94.99 yen, stronger, 112.59. Uh, the euro, 113.09. All sorts of movement. I'd mention uh, dollar renminbi, the Chinese, uh, you want, uh, uh, strengthening. Uh, here substantially off that move, 6.4777 on currency. We could talk for an hour on currency, uh, but always interesting stuff in the equity markets. David Wilson, with us. what do you have? Morning, Tom. I mean, we have energy prices uh, up and well, off the dollar dynamics, yeah. right? And energy stocks going along with them. Exxon Mobil's up half a percent in early trading. Chevron and ConocoPhillips with one percent gain so far. Valiant Pharmaceuticals up 4%. The drug maker asked lenders for an extension to file last year's results until May 31st. Now, Valiant went into technical default on some loans last month after failing to file by March 15th. And more defaults may follow if the company doesn't deliver by April 29th. So they're looking to get out from under uh, that pressure. Lululemon Athletic up 6%. The yogaware maker and retailer posted fiscal fourth quarter earnings that beat the average analyst estimate in the Bloomberg survey. Lululemon benefited from cost cuts and new products. Opco Health, though, down 9%. The drug maker said another company that manufactures its proposed kidney treatment, Rayaldi, was cited for deficiencies. Opco has filed for U.S. approval of Rayaldi and said the production issues don't directly affect that drug. Uh, Variant Systems down 14%. The data analysis software maker reported fiscal fourth quarter profit and revenue that were far below estimates. Variant's forecast for this year showed it expects little or no growth in its top and bottom lines. Landstar System down 5%. The trucking company cut forecast for first quarter earnings and sales to reflect falling revenue per load. The drop amounts to about 10% from a year earlier. Acadia Pharmaceuticals up 21%. A U.S. advisory committee voted to support Acadia's proposed treatment for psychosis associated with Parkinson's disease. 
Allscripts Healthcare up 4%. The medical software maker was raised equivalent from buy from hold at uh, Morgan Stanley. Sonic up 6.5%. The drive-in restaurant chain's earnings and sales for the fiscal second quarter right. received projections. Uh, Terraform Power One more, 2%. one more. Well, this is it. This uh, is it? The power plant owner uh, created by Sun Edison was cut the equivalent of neutral from buy at J.P. Morgan. Yeah, that Sun out. Edison shares sank 55% yesterday yeah. after its Terraform Global unit signed a filing that its parents mm-hmm. faces substantial risk of bankruptcy. And I'll point out Terraform Global down 6%. That's called doing, doing a valiant is what we call that. David Wilson, thank you so much. Okay, folks, this is a real pleasure. Um, I will be direct. Paul Wilmot changed the accessibility of quantitative finance, along with a lot of other people. Uh, Bruno DePierre, who we're honored to say works at Bloomberg LP. A guy named Taleb. I'd throw in there Kent Osbin, who had a classic book. And our next guest, uh, Professor Derman, Emmanuel Derman of Columbia University. Here's what you need to remember. I will remember that I didn't make the world and it does, and it doesn't satisfy my equations. Though I will use models boldly to estimate value, I will not be overly impressed by mathematics. And with that, we uh, welcome, uh, Emmanuel Derman. Professor, wonderful to have you on. Good morning. Good morning. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks. I, I, I look at uh, modelers of all markets. It's, it's a classic piece on the linkage of physics into finance. With great respect, I say, what did you learn out of the crisis, the amplitudes that were misguessed, that you, that you use every day now? What's the new, new for you seven years on? That so little has been learned in a way. Um, I mean, there was a massive failure both of them, um, I think, of government and, and the Fed after the, after the crisis. Um, you know, the, the crisis for me was, was characterized by several things. First of all, that piece you were reading that Paul Wilmot and I wrote was called the, um, the, Modelers, the Financial Modelers Manifesto. We were trying to explain to people that social sciences and financial markets are involved with people and not like physics systems, even though the mathematics is similar, and people mm-hmm. have to remember that um, that other people don't satisfy equations, even though you may try to use equations to model them. In the end, that's not the way they work. So um, that was a good lesson, one that I actually learned 10 years before that, and I think Paul Wilmot learned before that too. But um, for me, the crisis has been so disappointing because um, um, we're sort of back in the same situation. Yeah. Within this... Is the ba- and I want to stay away, folks, from the mathiness and cross moments and blinding physics debates. Yeah, I don't Within- want to be your token geek. Actually. No, well, no, Ritholtz, Barry Ritholtz is here, so he can be the token geek. Okay. Are um, we have we moved on from the simplicity of the Gaussian or bell curve distribution? It has been the convenient model going back to Fisher Black, even back to Bosco, Bosco, uh, to um, Mental Block. But we've been doing the bell curve for years. Have we moved beyond the certitude of that distribution? Yes, I think we have. Um, the trouble is there's nothing that replaces it. You know, what, you. Was ni- what was nice about the bell curve was that it's a very beautiful description of Neo, what people call neoclassical finance, and it would be great if the world worked that way. It would be a beautiful system, but the world doesn't work that way. And we've moved, I think everybody knows that the world doesn't work that way, but nobody really knows what to replace it with. So, I think Professor Taleb has some arguments about using fat tail distributions, but I think the truth is people don't satisfy such simple, there's no simple model to replace it, so people have a hard time mathematically with that. 
So when we're looking at models that either depict the economy or an investment portfolio or any specific asset class, how important is it for us not to start out with assumptions that ultimately end up being disproven? Yes, it's incredibly important. All of those assumptions, a lot of the models that the models that people make work for a short time in a short regime when the market's in a certain state. But as soon as things change, it's driven by people, obviously, that's almost a tautology. And then all bets are off. And um, there isn't some, I mean, part of what we were saying in that excerpt you read was that there isn't a mathematics that describes people accurately. And so you can't take solace in that. You have to keep thinking. You have to stay aware. It's a sort of human wish to find a, a formula that will explain the market or explain what it's going to do. But there isn't one, is my belief. Well, we, we certainly can do worse than thinking about just basic mean reversion as a way to think about different as, asset classes and whether stocks, for example, are expensive or or inexpensive yes that's that's um I, I think i think the right way i agree with you and i think the right way to behave is um is to use a mix of qualitative and quantitative not to be sort of blindingly quantitative mm -hmm. but i don't think there are any i don't think there are any permanent rules you look at the risk parity people i don't know if your if your readers or your listeners are familiar with risk parity but that worked for a long time but that's not a solution either things the rule is change all the time. Within this, in, in Kent Osmond, folks, has a fabulous book called Iceberg Risk. It opens with two statisticians out at the tip of the Titanic doing the Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet <laughs> act. And, and the iceberg hits them <laughs> to, to cut to the chase. But Emmanuel Derman, the whole idea of binomial or conventional mathematics versus not a chaos, I don't want to go to chaos theory, but a more disjoint mathematics. Which is right, or do we have to learn to use both? I think you have to be, I think you have to be disjoint. I used to like to say, you know, quoting Mao, uh, let a thousand models bloom, you know, um, or perverting Mao. Um, you, you have to, it's good to think about as many different models as you can that are consistent with what you know but have different futures and be skeptical of them all, but try to see which one works best for now. So, you know, price over earnings models or more complicated, um, you know, neoclassical binomial models. They yeah. all have their 15 minutes of fame, but they don't last forever. Yeah. We have 15 minutes with you, which is a good thing. Emmanuel Derman, please stay with us. We'll continue with Professor Derman of Columbia University. His book, of course, My Life is a Quant. Reflections on Physics and Finance. Coming back, we'll talk Newtonian mechanics. Barry, I will not mention S equals VOT plus one-half GT squared. We're not going there. We're not doing acceleration. We just did. We just did, right. Future's up 11. And now for the news, quant free in New York. Here's Michael Barr. Thank you very much, Tom Barry. The U.S. is trying to ease the concerns of its allies in Eastern Europe over an increasingly aggressive Russia. The Pentagon announced today that it will deploy an armored brigade combat team to Eastern Europe along with a full set of equipment. There are about 4,500 soldiers in an armored brigade along with dozens of heavy vehicles, tanks, and other equipment. Donald Trump is defending his campaign manager who's been charged with simple battery after an incident involving a female reporter. 
Trump says that campaign manager Corey Lewandowski was just protecting him. It is a major blow to Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff. The country's biggest political party, the Brazilian Democratic Movement Party, has left the governing coalition. Rousseff has lost her key ally just weeks before she faces an impeachment vote in Congress. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Tom? Michael, thanks so much. Coming up, we are going to talk about an interesting word within our investment, whether you're sophisticated or not. The pain trade is sometimes painful. With Emmanuel Dermott of Columbia, this is Bloomberg Surveillance Worldwide. Counting down to the opening bell brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior, legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. The Bloomberg Futures Report brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts at low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. U.S. stock index futures higher amid optimism interest rates will rise at a slow pace. S&P E-mini futures are up 11 points. Dow E-mini futures up 109. And Nasdaq E-mini futures up 28. The DAX in Germany is up 1.8%. Ten-year Treasury down 630 seconds, the yield 1.82%. NYMEX crude oil up 2.2% or 82 cents to 39.09 a barrel. COMEX gold is down two tenths percent or $2.50 to 1235 an ounce. The euro, $1.1308, the yen 112.65. U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew is speaking in Washington this morning, right now actually saying unjustified sanctions may hurt business in the U.S. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry. Uh, Karen, uh, thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. Bloomberg Surveillance, Barry Ritholtz and Tom Keene. With us, Emmanuel Derman of Columbia University. We're having a spirited discussion on humility and quantitative uh, finance. Folks, one of the great entry books on this, for those of you uh, that don't know the Newtonian mechanics that gets you to the conversation, is Frequently Asked Questions in Quantitative Finance, by Paul Wilmot. It is short, sweet, beautifully clear, page by page, frequently asked questions in quantitative finance. It also happens to be a fun book as well. Emmanuel Derman, I want to talk about what we learned from failure. Nassim Taleb wrote the brilliant anti-fragile about learning from our disorder, learning from when things break, how to move on and do better. Explain to us from the Emmanuel Derman world how we get wiser from our quantitative mistakes. You know, I sort of take a philosophical point of view to it, and that is that People are, people are, uh, nutrition and finance are kind of very simple and uh, are very similar in that people are always looking for some um, little bit of data that they can use to predict the future. So for years, if you look at nutrition, um, people thought you needed a lower amount of vitamin D than they now think you need. The USDA keeps changing the minimum recommended requirements for vitamins and for various kinds of food, and 10 years later they change everything. And that's because people have this terrible need, which is understandable, to be told what to do when there isn't always a clear answer. And I think finance is very similar. People glom onto some kind of quantitative model and they use it for a while. You see this a lot in statistical arbitrage, and it may work for a while, but then it fails. 
And I think the lesson is kind of a philosophical one that you, you sort of shouldn't be an idolater, an idolater in the sense that you think you can make an image of society or of human, the human mind with a formula or a prescription and that it's always going to work. So given that, what Constantly should... skeptical, constantly skeptical, constantly trying out new models, but don't, um, don't make the transition into hubris where you think you've found the permanent solution. Mm -hmm. so, so given that, does that mean investors have to constantly be rethinking their philosophy in, in light of how humans behave and misbehave in the market? Or can we come up with a belief system that recognizes both the math half and the psychology half of what takes place in, in capital markets? Yeah, I think the psychology is dominant, and the math is an attempt to describe the psychology and to formalize it in mathematical terms. And um, um, there isn't going to be a permanent answer because when, when regimes in the market change, things change. Um, um, I look a lot at option pricing and the, the nature of options, on, for example, on the S&P changed after the 87 crash, and it's never been the same since. I'm writing a book called The Volatility Smile, which is <coughs> Excuse me, which is all about that phenomenon. And then gold, similarly, options on gold suddenly changed in the late 90s when the Swiss Central Bank did something different. And so, yeah, you've got to constantly understand how people's psychology right. is changing and then use the relevant math for a while. The relevant math has an anchor. It may be a philosophical anchor, which is too deep for our radio. We wouldn't even do that on TV. I mean, that's something you do, you know, at that fancy bookstore up by Columbia University around having a cup it of coffee. It is a great bookstore. And I think it's 112th Street. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 Professor Derman, everybody wants to know where Bill Sharp's risk-free rate is. Every sophisticated global Wall Streeter listening worldwide, those less sophisticated, they foundationally know there's a thing called the risk-free rate. Do you know where it is right now, or have we so distorted the system, we don't have a clue where our anchor is? I'm a little bit on the side of what you just said, that um, the Fed has distorted the system totally. The risk-free rate is low because um, people are very risk-averse, but um, it's being set by the Fed in some very artificial way that we've all gotten used to, and um, um I think nobody really knows. Is it negative? Is it right. going to get more negative? Um, it's become, yeah, it's, it's very strange for me. I mean, interest rates are the price of money, and we're always against um, manipulating, um, manipulating the price of things, and yet we all live with the Fed manipulating the price of money. That is the standard background. There's always going to be some force out there impacting what takes place in the market. It's our job to figure out how to navigate those waters, isn't it? Yes, and these days for the last five years, it's all a risk-on, risk-off situation where people either mm -hmm. plunge in and think everything's going to be good because the Fed is, in, is, is, is doing something good or um, risk-off right. and everything's in trouble. Did you have a Q-full and S or slide rule? Excuse me? Did you have a slide rule when you were in school? Oh, yes. I once tweeted a picture of one a few years ago. Yeah, I've got this old Faber-Castell slide rule from yeah. the 70s or the 60s. Am I right in that we sort of lost something without the physical feeling of logarithms off a slide rule versus everybody today, all your kids at school today are all whiz-bang? You know, that's a, that's a, I never thought of that, but that's a, that's a, a, great, um, a great insight in that um, calculation used to be a physical thing with a yeah. slide rule. 
Yeah. Or you used to look up logarithmic tables before that. Exactly. High school. Yeah, exactly. This has been wonderful. Emmanuel Derman, I hope we can do this again. He is at Columbia University, which barely describes his contribution uh, to the underpinnings of finance. Things we take for granted every day. Ran the infamous quantitative strategies group at Goldman Sachs for many years. And had a, a number of other. Um, uh, efforts, of course, out of the University of Cape Town uh, originally, and of course, his uh, truly his Columbia University. It's a very Columbia University day. It, it is. Let me do a shameless plug for the Masters in Business we did with him. It was phenomenal. Quants were. Is that still emails. out on iTunes? Still up on iTunes. Still Absolutely. up on iTunes. Emmanuel Derman with Barry Reynolds and Tom Keene. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Counting down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior, legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today.